I kept hearing from so many other small business owners, just apply as soon as possible and then figure it out later. So I did just that. I went online. I applied for the PPP, which is the Paycheck Protection Program. And I also applied for the EIDL. But to tell you the truth, to this date, I haven't heard anything in regards to either of my status on both of these loans. You're listening to the Moneda Moves podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Alfaro, and here we'll be talking about Latinos, money, and our role in the American economy. I'm a multimedia producer living in New York City, and we're going to be covering Keeping Cuentas, or tabs on all things Latinos and money in the U.S., speaking with Potentes, or the next generation of entrepreneurs, and Monedita, how to put your money where your mouth is and support the Latino community. Welcome to the show. No te lo quieres perder. You just heard from Yai Vargas, she's CEO and founder of career development company, The Latinista. Yai is facing a reality so many small businesses are grappling with right now that's applying for federal aid with no response. Today, we discuss the application process, who's gotten funding, and how small business owners are navigating operations two months into a COVID environment. It's no secret that federal aid put forth by the Small Business Administration has been met with its fair share of critique. The two big programs you've probably heard about are the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, the EIDL, and the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. Take the $660 billion Paycheck Protection Program, for instance. That was meant to extend help to small businesses battered by the pandemic, allowing them to keep employees on payroll. While some businesses have received a much-needed infusion to help pay staff, others just never heard back. It's unsure whether they will at all. Loans of more than $1 million made up just 5% of those approved in the first round, but they accounted for roughly half of the overall money. Meanwhile, experts estimate that upwards 90% of businesses owned by people of color have been, or likely will be, shut out of the Paycheck Protection Program. We speak with business owners across the country that have applied for federal aid, the application process, and what the rest of the year looks like for them financially, both with and without aid. But first, we speak with Diego Mendoza over at the San Antonio Express News. He tells us a little bit about the federal aid program and what perception it's been met with in Texas. We've heard all about Congress putting together these trillions of dollars in aid and um, you know, various forms of aid. And of course, a big part of that is aid for small businesses. Um, so we saw the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, we've seen the Economic Injury Disaster Loan. Um, there are these various programs that are designed to um, help businesses survive this time where they're just seeing no revenue. Um, you know, they're not able to pay their employees, which of course has downstream economic effects. So really, I mean, these loans are just designed to keep businesses afloat. Um, I don't think they've been perfect. I think every, you know, we've seen plenty of reporting on some of the flaws with them, but given uh, the, the speed that government needed to put these together, um, I do think they've been certainly very beneficial for a lot of businesses around uh, the U.S. Talk to us through the two acronyms that people have seen a lot in the news. Um, one of them is the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP, as you mentioned. What is the other one and what do each of these apply for? 
Yeah, so the Economic Injury Disaster Loan is a much smaller program in size than the PPP. Um, I think in the first round, it was about a tenth of the size. So it's really a lot less significant. And what it is essentially is businesses can apply for it and, and get these low interest loans. Um, so that's really kind of the secondary program. Um, and, and businesses can apply for the EIDL through the Small Business Administration directly. So that's a key difference with the EIDL and the uh, Paycheck Protection Program. So the Paycheck Protection Program, like I said, is much larger. So that's the, the much more significant program. And what it was, it's really kind of modeled after these European programs sort of designed to keep uh, employees connected to their employer. So the idea is that you keep these employees on the payroll so they don't have to go get an unemployment to the state um, and you pay them. But of course, the, the PPP, um, it has a lot of rules around forgiveness. So the EIDL businesses will have to pay back the Paycheck Protection Program. The idea is that business owners will use 75% of the funds from that loan for their employees. And then, um, you know, at some undetermined late, uh, later date, that loan will be forgiven, um, you know, when this pandemic's over and the government can sort of figure out uh, to what degree people kept their employees on and all that. Let's talk timeline. These federal aid options were introduced about April when COVID had just ramped up to full gear. And we had the first round of uh, small business loan programs introduced with a $350 billion um, allotment. That ran out in less than two weeks. I think a lot of people were really surprised at that. Why do you think that was? Yeah, so certainly it did run out. It was, it was about 1.6 million loans were given out in those first two weeks. Um, and it was, yeah, right, right about $350 billion. But the reason why it ran out so quickly is because a lot of these, uh, a lot of really large companies saw this as sort of free money. They're going, hey, this is potentially forgivable. Let's just go in and apply. And if, if you think about uh, the, you know, we saw organizations like the Los Angeles Lakers. We saw Taco Cabana, a popular restaurant chain here in Texas. Um, we saw Shake Shack. A lot of really large companies get multi-million dollar PPP loans. And so that really did crowd out a lot of the younger or the, a lot of the, the smaller businesses. And the reason is, if you consider these large corporations have just teams of accountants and, and these departments where they can work through these different guidances and they can understand how these programs work uh, much better than a, a mom and pop shop that, that is going to have difficulty navigating uh, this really complex, rapidly rolled out program. A lot of people might ask, was this the way that the program was intended to work? These names, Shake Shack definitely don't strike us at small businesses. Certainly not. And I think, you know, to cut the government some slack, they had to put this program together rapidly, right? I mean, a, a, a loan program larger than anything the SBA has ever done before. So they had to roll it out really quickly and get the, the money out the door with as few restrictions as possible. So you understand the intent, right, where they're trying to just make it as simplistic as possible. But clearly, um, in retrospect, I do think they could have done more protections or, or, or they could have crafted the program to, to ensure the money goes to small businesses. I mean, one example I had a, a small lender propose to me was that this program could have been crafted to have a certain percentage of the revenue go to businesses with less than the $2 million in annual revenue or less than a million dollars. That way to more efficiently ensure that the money goes to small businesses. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And now we're entering the second kind of infusion of this money for small businesses. We had another $310 billion come in. How are small businesses kind of approaching applying for this federal aid this time around? 
So, yeah, so the second round, a lot of small businesses I talked with, they made sure that they were in contact with their banker, with a financial institution that could apply for these loans, uh, for the PPP loan. And that's a key thing with the PPP is you have to apply through a local lender, through a, a certified financial institution. Uh, and, and of course, as I said, you know, a lot of smaller businesses aren't going to have those really robust, um, long-running relationships with a lot of banks. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. If you're a small taqueria, you're just not likely to, uh, you know, have this extensive relationship. Whereas, you know, if you're a smaller or if you're a larger business, excuse me. Uh, so, so that was really kind of a, a big issue with that. Kate Luzio runs her business on most days out of physical establishment in New York City. Of course, today is anything but. She was, however, a business owner to receive federal aid. She shares how her business is pivoting and how she was able to tap to funding for Luminary. My name is Kate Luzio. I'm the founder and CEO of Luminary. I spent almost 20 years in financial services, um, running very large businesses and P&Ls for the likes of JP Morgan, HSBC, Bank of America. And what I was seeing was uh, there was just not enough advancement of women in the workforce. We're bringing women of all industries, all backgrounds, all levels, titles, representation into a space and, and building a community. We launched in early 2019. I self-funded the business, so I'm the sole investor and owner, and it's built on the foundation that we are providing skills and connection and, um, and programming. So in 2019, we did over 200 in-person workshops, programs, and events from you know in-person, small, intimate workshops around upskilling all the way to very large uh, you know, speaker series and summits and conferences. 200 in-person events for a year is, is no small deal. So what operational changes have you had to weather during this time, not only for your employees and managing your employees, but also your clients, which are typically in offices in and out every day? 90% of our members, and we just recently did a survey, are really looking at Luminary um, for the connection and the programming versus I'm coming there just for a workspace, which is, which is great and what's what we set out to build. We literally moved everything online overnight. I think um, what was great was there was really no blip in programming. We didn't skip a beat. Um, we've always had an app, uh, our Luminary app, where you can connect through on our community board and jobs board. But again, overnight, we set up our own uh, proprietary Slack channel, our own private Facebook group, so that our members of our community could could, could start to engage and connect in different ways digitally, um, but trying to stay to the ethos and the mission and the values that we were as a physical space and just bringing those online. Um, you know, 70% of our programming is member-led, and so we were not sure is that going to change uh, if we be, went digital. And in fact, I think it's actually grown. Um, we've had so many members say, we love this community and here's what I can offer. And this is my expertise, including our corporate members. It's incredible and also such a big change that you were able to take all of this or make the decision that you were going to take all of this online overnight. Has this impacted revenue flow? Where there's all the, the wonderful positives of what can come out of this, I think there's, there's certainly 
the, the fiscal challenges, right? Um, you have people that are losing their jobs. You have people that have been, you know, whatever they're furloughed or laid off. Um, small business owners or freelancers that their revenue is, is drying or has dried up. And so, of course, that's impacted us. We, you know, 25% of our revenue um, was from events. So that's really pretty much immediately gone. Um, you know, we have corporate members. Fortunately, our corporate members that we have in, that have been with us, uh, that's that's been terrific. They've been probably more of a partner than ever. But, you know, the, those prospects, as people start to rethink their budgets and what that looks like, that that's going to be put on hold for a majority of them. We have seen some new ones, which has been great. But yeah, there's absolutely. And also people pause. We have a pause a policy. So we've paused memberships. There have been some cancellations. Again, the uncertainty drives that, right? And there's a lot of anxiety. So um, the financial component and, and hit is, is 100% there. It keeps me up at night and how long this will continue and when's back to normal going to look like. Um, but I also know I had a strong, you know, balance sheet to begin with, you know, no debt. Uh, and I'm the sole owner, so I control my destiny. And applying early for the PPP and going through that process, you know, gave us a little bit of a cushion. But it's still, you know, not without its challenges, depending on how long this lasts here in New York City. So talk me a little bit about that process, applying for the PPP federal aid. What was that process like? How long did it take? Were the guidelines clear to you? And were you able to receive aid? So yes, we were, I'll start with, yes, we were able to receive aid. Uh, and so very, very lucky and fortunate in the first round. Uh, you know, I think people are giving the banks a really hard time. And as a banker for almost 20 years, you know, there, there are two sides to every story and it was all good intentions. And I think it's, it's, there are on the whole, I think everyone's trying to do the right thing. It was just these massive volumes that we've never seen before. Now for us and for me, given my background, I really jumped in quickly and started reaching out to the, the different banks that I know and worked at and said, what are, what are you thinking? How are you interpreting these guidelines? We quickly got on a call uh, with our accountant. My COO, Erica Lerner, is incredible. Uh, so getting involved early, understanding, even in the beginning of those guidelines, like don't wait you know, un start interpreting them and you may have to do some adjustments, but looking at payroll calculations, understanding our numbers and prior to even the stimulus coming out. And I kept saying this to people, I've said this since the day one of launching, you need to understand your numbers. You need to understand your cash flow and your expense. Uh, and that starts with a business plan and financial projections, right? So if you don't have a good grasp on those, you weren't really going to be set, set up for success. Um, I think in going through this process because it was a little bit convoluted and the guidelines changed a few times, but you know, we got, we were prepared. Uh, we had our, our calculations very early. Again, we consulted with our, our accountant who was fantastic and then reached out to our banker immediately, even before, and said, are you going to be part of this? Um, we, we reached out to a non-bank financial institution also to sort of have a contingency plan. Uh, and I was jumping on every single call I could have, um, whether it was with an accountant, um, law firms, just to get as much information. Um, so we were in that first round. Um, and again, didn't ha it was not without its challenges. Uh, but I think my background, understanding the small business loan process in general, 
and then how these banks work really helped me. Um, I've since taken that as uh, an opportunity to help small business owners and founders through the process. I think I've done over two dozen of those, um, both men and women, and some not so small, um, at helping them navigate through this and then uh, getting their PPP or finding new, uh, whether it's a financial institution, a fintech, or a non-bank, um, to help them if they if they haven't been able to to secure it. I think it's very helpful that you mentioned that you had a lot of people informing you along the way and that you were a banker in your previous life because I do think that there is a lot of confusion just based on reports from small business owners on perhaps understanding the guidelines. You hear of a lot of people who were on time to apply for the first round of federal aid here and just kind of being at a loss as to why they never heard back or not knowing what their status is. In, in terms of somebody who may not have had that banking experience that you had in the past life, what advice would you give to those people? So you're coming up on eight weeks of, of people being without jobs, right? Um, so that eight weeks is, is going to run out soon, even though, you know, that June 30th deadline, for the most part, most people haven't been able to hire back their employees yet, especially restaurant, restaurant and hospitality. Um, my advice is, you know, be relentless um, with your with your bank. Uh, I know a lot of people, and I've I've heard, and I won't say the different you know examples, but that just the bankers weren't weren't responsive. Again, in the defense, a, a little bit of the bankers. You know, a lot of these business bankers um, have between fifty and three hundred clients in a in a normal day. And that is, imagine they're all applying for a loan at once. Um, so I think the volumes, especially for the very large banks, were, were uh, so prohibitive to, to sort of pumping through. I think the, the fintechs that have been out there, the, these marketplace lenders that do, do a lot of the frontline work and then work with the lenders in the background have, do, have, have really taken a, a great leadership position. So don't be afraid to look at your options, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. You know, I had a number of founders and, 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 and those that run businesses really wait too long to reach out and ask for help other than re keep, you know, re, um, re emailing their bankers. And if you know someone that's had PPP or, you know, someone that's been in the process or, you know, anyone in your network that may have, um, have some, uh, experience on the financial institution side, reach out, ask for help. Um, because the last thing you want to do is, is it's too late. And I think women in particular, women-owned businesses, and I've heard a very similar story from particularly women of color that are owning businesses, they're, they're, you know, you, we, we have this, oh, I don't want to bother someone. You know, bother someone. Uh, I, I keep telling my members and anyone that I know, if you, if you need help with PPP, I can't guarantee I can, I can help, but I can help you navigate and give you options. I'm knowledgeable. So don't be afraid to reach out. And the, and the other thing is you better know your numbers back to front. Um, I, we took the approach of having sort of a best and worst case scenarios, right? So if we could use um, 2020 numbers, what our 2019 numbers look like, uh, and then having different calculations. So sort of have those three, two to three versions so that when your bank or the SBA comes back and asks for more information, you're prepared. And I think this highlights to the need for um, whether you have a bookkeeper or a CPA or an accountant, you know, 
please lean on them or ask for help. Um, We.NYC, which is Women Entrepreneurs, is a phenomenal resource. It's free here in New York City for women entrepreneurs. They have legal as well as accounting services in addition to mentors. You know, reach out and ask for help. There are a lot of resources out there. Remember our business owner at the top of the podcast who had not heard back on our federal application? That's Yai. She's also found a successful pivot in moving events to digital, but says this only supports part of her income. Here's founder of The Latinista. I started The Latinista eight years ago because I realized there were many women in my community that didn't necessarily have access to resources that I was receiving in corporate America. They also needed a professional organization to be able to network, find a mentor, learn new skills. All of these events happen in person every single month. And I have chapters in New York, Chicago, and LA. Of course, they were all in person up until recently because of COVID-19. That has definitely changed. Because our new temporary world is now online, it actually gave me the opportunity to pivot my model and build out our webinar offerings, um, which is actually kind of incredible. Before we would have to handle so many logistics for in-person events, and now we literally just pump out webinars almost every week. Just over the last month, we've been able to pump out six different webinars with subject matter experts. So it's been great for creating content and not having to deal with so many in-person logistics. Now we have the ability to reach people all over the globe and not just the runs that uh, can fit in a room when we have an event within our three chapters, New York, Chicago, or LA. How's the revenue flow comparing? Yeah, I mean, we have a good amount of paid events online. And then I also love to balance it with free events because that's how to keep your community engaged. And we also understand that a lot of people are going through financial hardships at the moment. Obviously, in-person events bring in large sponsors. And now that we're online, we just have the small ticket income of about $35 a ticket. So I'm hoping we can start developing new relationships for sponsors to want to partner with us on a virtual level as well. So it's great that we can pump out as much as possible, but on the other hand, it is only $35 a ticket and we don't have these vendors uh, and food sponsors and venues to be able to give us that one or $2,000 per event when it was in person. So that really hurts especially in a place like New York, we all know that events are huge here. If you think about the uh, kind of money flow, even for media companies, events are a pretty big part of all of that. As we talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how you supplement some of that money that you are not making, you said you applied for federal aid, which is also a reason that I wanted to talk to you. So tell me a little bit about what that process was like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, as I'm sure you, it was so confusing and so completely overwhelming. Um, I joined multiple webinars and calls to try to decipher if I even qualified for a loan. I kept hearing from so many other small business owners, just apply as soon as possible and then figure it out later. So I did just that. I went online. I applied for the PPP, which is the Paycheck Protection Program. And I also applied for the EIDL, which is the Economic Injury Disaster Loan. 
And so I went the route of applying for the PPP through my bank, which is Bank of America, which I've had a business account with for quite some time now. And it was pretty fast and easy. It took me about 15 minutes to complete the online application. I had to write in my income, the type of business that I am, which is an LLC, and also information about my expenses for two months, right? So what is my rent? How much do I pay myself? What is the typical income that I would make on a monthly basis? Um, but to tell you the truth, to this date, I haven't heard anything in regards to either of my status on both of these loans. Having not heard from Bank of America, your bank, that you applied for this PPP loan, what does the rest of your fiscal year look like? And what does your financial plan look like in this environment? Yeah, so I'm not sure when or how we'll be allowed to host um, any events at our sponsors or venues. So I'm assuming most of our workshops will have to stay online, which is not a bad thing. Of course, the challenge is, you know, having to compete with everyone else that's hosting a workshop or a webinar and competing for that attention um, when a lot of these topics are being covered by so many other organizations. So that's a challenge in itself. My corporate consulting business took a huge hit because I do in-person workshops and training. Um, but because I have the Latinista, I was able to pivot and manage all the webinars on this end to be able to make ends meet until I can get back on my feet with my usual corporate clients. I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching for people that are interested in revving up or refreshing their LinkedIn, right? And so my advice to anyone would be try to find different revenue streams, whether you're doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, webinars that you're selling, workshops online, or different products that you're thinking of. Meanwhile, in Chicago, coffee shop owner Jesse Iniguez says he's moved to digital as much as he possibly can. But physical establishments really do turn to their local community to stay in business. He received funding on the business's application for a PPP loan on the second round, saying that while the application was simple, there was a lot of confusion for banks he was working with. My name is Jesse Iniguez, and I am the co-founder of Back of the Arts Coffee Company. I'm also the director of uh, coffee operations. I think uh, one of the difficult things that happened for us is that uh, before they did the stay-at-home uh, order, we had the schools that were closed. Uh, that was the first thing that happened. Um, and there's a school across the street from us that is, um, you know, a, a lot of our revenue comes from uh, the teachers that work there. Um, and so when, but when they did the stay-at-home order, um, our sales dropped about 75%. Um, and so we really panicked and trying to figure out how we were going to make that up uh, and when we were going to get back to normalcy. Um, and so the biggest thing for us, we had to shift our operations and, and try to figure out one is how to keep our employees safe and how to keep our, our customers and our patrons safe. Um, well, how long could we stay open if this went on? Um, and and um, what how we modified it. Um, one of the first things we did was we changed our hours of operation. Um, instead of opening from 6 a.m. till 7 p.m., uh, we, we moved to opening from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, this allowed us to be able to keep all of our employees. 
um, just having to reduce their hours um, and uh, without having to let any, anybody go. Um, since then, you know, we've, you know, through the, you know, social media marketing, uh, we've been uh, doing a lot of that and, and, you know, getting, letting people know that um, our website, you know, is, is working, that, um, you know, people can do pickup uh, and curbside pickup as well, uh, that they can call in their orders, um, that they can do uh, Grubhub and Uber Eats uh, for delivery. Um, and we even uh, unveiled a new app um, through this crisis. Now, this was something that we were actually working on for a while. Um, and it's just happened that it, we unveiled it right around, we're, we're planning to unveil it right around that time. Um, so what, what that does is helps for uh, contactless, um, you know, pickup and, you know, and payment. They, you know, order through the, the app, pay to the app, and then we do a curbside pickup. So we've essentially had to modify and adapt uh, with the way things are. Um, we're still not at 100% uh, to where we were before. Um, but, you know, with the community supporting, we've been able to at least make up some of it. Yeah. And otherwise, how has the business looked into other ways to keep afloat financially, given that obviously you're losing some of the business? What, what are some of those ways? Yeah, we, we've applied to anything and everything that's out there. Um, we've looked for, uh, through grants. We've looked uh, for loans. Um, and we're just constantly monitoring what's out there. Um, and applying for everything that's available. Um, we did get a small grant through the state of Illinois, uh, Department of uh, the um, Economic uh, Commerce and Opportunity, DCEO. Um, and um, so we got that for, there was about $10,000 that, you know, came right as we were like, uh, you know, scratching the surface with the last few dollars in our account. Uh, and, and then, um, and then the PPP, we applied for the, the payroll protection program as well. Um, and we did end up uh, getting it uh, the second time around, but it was extremely frustrating uh, trying to, you know, kind of navigate through that. The, the application itself was very simple. Um, the information they wanted was very simple. It's just that, um, at least in the beginning, uh, even the, the banks themselves did not know uh, there was a lot of confusion. They didn't know what to to ask from us, and um, we were ready. We we have you know we had already been applying you know looking for to apply for for loans, um, and we have applied for grants in the past. Um, so we had all the information essentially ready. the The biggest issue that we found was that um, you know, and and I understand you know how that would make sense for banks, but you know, it wasn't the intent of the you know the the bill right and and what and what we found was that um they were taking care of their bigger customers first because essentially they were going to get higher uh fees uh for servicing those loans and i think that that was very um um you know unfortunate for us um and and for a lot of other businesses uh, luckily we have you know we were prepared and and we've um you know we you know, this is something that we've worked in the past and I could pause to, to work on that specifically, but many small businesses uh, don't, you know, and, and I think it was very disingenuous, uh, disingenuous from, on behalf of the banks and, and even, you know, the government uh, in the way that it was written, right? It, it gave that um, advantage to, 
you know, bigger companies and the bigger companies took advantage, you know, like who's not going to take free money. Right. Um, but you know, that delayed us. Luckily, you know, that, that small grant that we got, you know, has helped us kind of, uh, funnel through for a little bit, but at the end of the day, you know, that the, 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 the PPP, the payroll uh, protection program is only meant to keep us alive for a couple of months, you know? And so, um, at the end of the day, once that, you know, kind of funnels through and, uh, what's next, you know, and I think that's, that's, uh, what we're preparing for now is that we need to, uh, still continue to, to, to be open after this, um, this, uh, pandemic, you know? Yeah. So Jesse, I'm going to backtrack a bit because you said that the second time that you applied was the time that you were able to get the loan and not the first. So first of all, when you say the second time, you're talking about the second uh, round on the federal aid money, the additional funding that was added. That's correct. correct. Yes. So yeah, basically um, we submitted all of our documents and by the time that our bank came around to submitting our stuff, uh, the funds went dry. And so the second time they opened it, um, we made sure that we that our bank had everything we uh, they needed from us, and um, we submitted it uh, through one of our banks, and uh, and luckily a few days later it went through. Um, the other bank that we were planning to apply for, uh, through uh, at first, uh, we didn't. We we just got an email from them this week, notifying us that yeah they're ready to take our application. <laughs> And this is, you know, uh, one of the bigger banks. Um, and, you know, it was a little bit insulting, to be honest with you, that uh, that they would go ahead and, and send us that email uh, basically almost a month after uh, the first round was out. And you said you worked with the same bank through the first and the second round on the aid that you did get. What do you think made you more successful the second time around? You mentioned they had some of your information. What else do you think you had? I think, I mean, well, one, I think that our application was ready. Um, I, you know, I think, uh, our, I don't think our, our banker acted in malice. I think, you know, I think he personally was um, um, trying to help us, but I, I think he was also working under directives of, you know, the, the bosses and doing what they were um, asking to do. And there were other bankers as well that were working on these with bigger clients. And I'm sure they were put through, uh, first, but I think also the, the op-ed definitely helped, uh, kind of push, um, them a little bit because of what, what I said. And, um, a few other smaller banks and, uh, credit unions reached out and willing to help. Um, fortunately I, I, I ended up not needing that because, uh, our bank did uh, end up submitting the the application, but um, but I think I, I think certainly it helped that we were outspoken and and that we uh, made our voice heard. Um, the sad part is that the reality is that not most other businesses like ours in our situation uh, don't have that opportunity. Um, and so you know, folks that that um, don't have people on staff that uh, have the capability or even the time to, to, um, and the resources to, to fill out these applications, you know, um, collecting the data can be daunting. Um, like I said, we just happen to have all this information collected because, uh, we've, we've been, you know, applying for different resources, um, throughout the, you know, from the city and, um, you know, we're, we're on an expansion, 
uh, mode we're trying to to grow as a business so we 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 have to make sure that we have everything uh on point and ready to go but the reality is is most small businesses don't do that if you have a taqueria and the owner is a taquero they're going to be you know cooking 16 hours a day that the, the last thing they're going to want to be doing or or have the ability to be doing is is uh, filling out paperwork and Jesse, you mentioned this earlier, but thinking down the road, you're saying that this funding that you currently have is only good for a couple of months. What's a couple of months and what happens after that, do you think? Right. So the calculation for the PPP uh, was two and a half months of, of salary. So essentially, um, all this money is going 100% towards uh, employees and, and salaries, right? And, and so I think um, that you know, the way things are looking that even if we go back to, I guess, quote unquote, uh, normalcy uh, in the next two months, it's going to take some time to really, uh, for people to start gathering and, you know, going to places like our business. Um, the schools are probably not going to open uh, until the fall. Um, so for us, uh, that's a huge chunk of our, of our sales, you know, and in, in the summer, um, we have a patio um, and we have a small, you know, small shop as well. Uh, but people are not going to be coming to, to dine in, you know, as soon as they, they open up the, um, uh, the, you know, the stay at home order. So I think it's still going to take time. People are scared and, and, and uh, you know, and, and I don't blame them, you know, and, and they should be cautious. They should take their time. But in the meantime, you know, we still have to figure out um, how to make ends meet you know, for that time being, and, and um, you know, and, and I don't see us going at 100%, um, you know, until more than just a few months. Carniceria Maribel is a neighborhood gem in Chicago. Just last summer, it erected La Calle Selena, filled with murals of the Tex-Mex star Selena Quintanilla, which increased foot traffic to the family business that operates both as a liquor store and a taco shop. With a stay-at-home order in place, the store now grapples with lower-than-expected sales. We spoke with Alejandro Banda, who now runs the store, but has not yet received response on federal aid. My name is Alejandro Banda. I'm the incoming owner at Carniceria Maribel, located in Pilsen at 1801 West Cermac Road in Chicago, Illinois, um, uh, southwest neighborhood of the city. Having COVID come in at the top of the year, how did it impact your business and how have you pivoted, if at all? So it definitely was a big scare. Um, it was something that, you know, I have just only been here for a couple of years um, in charge of the place. Uh, my uncles have, have had a maneuver through, through certain, you know, difficult times. Uh, so for me, it was a completely new and a learning experience so far. We've tried to make adjustments based on the guidelines that the, that the city has put out for us and the state. Um, we've had to condense our hours a bit. Um, fortunately, we do sell alcohol and beer, and that has been kind of the backbone that we've been riding um, in, during COVID-19. Uh, lots of bars and restaurants took a huge hit. Um, you know, people are still, people still want to drink, and, you know, fortunately for that, um, they've been, uh, we've been seeing some, some incoming traffic into the, into the store, and it's helped spike our sales. Um, other than that, um, you know, uh, we've been trying our best to, to educate our, our employees on, you know, on how it is they should interact with customers. It's definitely been 
something that has evolved as the process has, has gone uh, from, you know, um, from being on lockdown for a couple of weeks to a whole month to now extending past May, May uh, to the end of May in Illinois. Um, we've noticed that uh, a lot of the foot traffic we would typically get during lunch hour, um, because we sell tacos in the back of the store, um, hasn't been there. Um, a lot of the guys that have worked around a lot of the factories, the manufacturing companies that are around in the Pilsen area, uh, we've lost a lot of those customers because um, either they've been uh, laid off, furloughed, um, or, or just, you know, had their hours cut. Um, you know, uh, we haven't seen as much of that traffic. Um, on the other hand, uh, the community uh, in Pilsen, our neighbors, everyone else, um, they've all supported um, they've shown they've shown that um, that they're very much aware of the importance of small business in in Pilsen in particular. So they've come in and shopped, um, and that's really helped us out. And you also told me that you applied for federal aid. So could you tell me a little bit about what that process was like? Uh, who was your bank, and were you able to secure aid? Uh, we bank with a, with a small community bank in Chicago. Uh, it's called Byline Bank. Um, we have our account with them, our business account, and um, we did recently try to um, apply for the PPP loan. Um, we, however, did not get it. Um, they were a small community bank, so they didn't have the same access that the bigger banks did, at least that's what the branch manager told me. And um, so they were super backtracked, um, backlogged on a lot of accounts that had come before me to try to get those loans. Um, uh, they couldn't help me. Uh, you know, they, they basically said, you know, it's closed right now. There's, there's no funding and, you know, we're not, they're not getting the same amount of, um, of, uh, the same type of, uh, um, uh, timeline. They're, they're, they're not, they don't have access to those funds like Bank of America or Chase, uh, like they were able to. Um, so because of that, unfortunately we did not get the loan. Now, you said that the bank provided you with some additional information um, and that they were able to secure some funding for some of the businesses that applied, but how soon was it to run out? Oh, I, they said within the first day. They said within the first day that they had access to it. Um, they had a log of, of uh, business customers that they were trying to go through and they were not able to fulfill that. They said um, that they, unfortunately, a lot of businesses weren't able to get it um, and us because we recently went to them. Uh, I would say about um, uh, shy of a week, we were not able to. There's a lot of community building around Pilsen, which is a very uh, critical Latino neighborhood in Chicago. What do you see the next couple of months looking like for Carniceria Maribel um, and, and business there? You know, I hope, uh, I hope community still continues um, uh, coming out and supporting local business, not just ours, you know going out and supporting all the other businesses that are going to be opening up soon. Um, we're going in Illinois through phases. Uh, I believe we're on phase two right now, as the governor would, would, would deem it. Uh, phase three, salons, hair, hair salons, barbershops, manufacturing companies are given the okay to, to, um, to open up to the public. And that won't be, I believe, until the end of May. Uh, when that happens, I hope that, um, that people do support, you know, your local businesses, um, you know, the flower shops for, for, for Mother's Day that's coming up. Um, you know, we're not the only business, uh, obviously, in, in Pilsen, and we're very aware of that. Uh, we've been fortunate to be able to, to serve the community during this time, 
Uh, it hasn't been, you know, what it, what the sales would be otherwise, but at this point, if we could just, you know, stay in business, that's the most important thing. Um, so given that, uh, I hope that, that people do go out and, and support as much as they can. Um, we understand that everyone has the same abilities to be able to support, uh, uh, small businesses, but, um, when you can, if you can, um, it would be a great, it would be a great help to, to small businesses like ours. Even as businesses open up, it's clear owners know we won't be able to necessarily flip a switch and immediately go back to normal. Back at San Antonio Express News, Diego Mendoza explains how federal aid has been received and what the future looks like for business owners. Your boots on the ground, I would say, out in San Antonio reporting on businesses that have benefited from this firsthand. What are you hearing from people on both sides of the of the aisle, people who have received the aid and people who have not? Yes, yeah, certainly. And, and it, yeah, it's, it's definitely not been all bad. That's for sure. And a lot of business owners have really benefited from this. Um, I just wrote about a uh, a small business owner who opened a, a healthy food and lifestyle store about four years ago. And earlier this year, she was really starting to see uh, the revenue at the store really reach where she wanted it to be so that she could um, sort of live comfortably, I guess, I guess you could say. And so, um, but of course the pandemic hit and she had to lay off an employee. But fortunately she was able to get this $43,000 loan, uh, this PPP loan that allowed her to keep six employees on payroll. Um, it allowed her to, to keep the doors open and maintain about 50% of her business um, in, in terms of sales. So it really has been a big help for, for people. And I know um, another business I talked with was a, a solo medical practice that, uh, of course, had to end all elective surgeries, right, during this, this crisis. And so that was basically all their revenue vanished. So they got this loan. It was for about $23,000 to keep three employees on payroll. And that's really allowed that business to stay alive as well. So uh, it, it is important that these small businesses have been able to get that. And one other thing I want to note is that a lot of uh, lenders here in San Antonio have said that you know, for small businesses, the average loan is around $40,000. So uh, if you consider that a lot of these large organizations got loans worth millions and millions of dollars, I think you can see how that really affected and crowded out a lot of smaller businesses who could really just need a, a, a tiny fraction of the money that a lot of these bigger corporations got. From people who did receive this aid, what are you hearing looking out? I mean, I, I spoke with a few business owners for this particular podcast, and some people say, you know, this is great that I got this aid, but it might only last me for a few months. And as we hear from some officials that we may not have complete resolution on coronavirus until 2021, what does the future look like for these business owners? Yeah, so this is actually something, this is a question I pose to business owners often, and generally the answer in the last couple of weeks has been, hey, man, we'll figure it out when we get there. Uh, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I think right now the focus, you know, and, and, and I, I think it's a little bit of a cop-out answer, sure, because I don't know if anyone really has the answer um, as to what the economy might look like in, in six to 12 months. Um, but, but really, I think right now, everyone's focused on this sort of making it through the short term and then kind of reevaluating. I uh appreciate it, Diego. If this episode should serve as a reminder of anything, especially with a big holiday coming up, it's to support small and local businesses. I know I'm thinking twice about where I order from nowadays and the way I see it. If I want businesses to stay open post-pandemic, I put my money on it, literally. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Moneda Moves. Hasta la próxima.